0: good look at all the cars in the parking lot so we pull in and sometimes we make our decisions the same way without knowing anything about the consequence or anything about the circumstance well they can't all be bad and so we go in hurriedly through that wide gate well that might work out once or twice but i ask you is that really a good plan is that really a good plan to base your life upon You ever been caught up in traffic? Uh, It's happened. You mentioned New York City. It's happened in New York City. You ever been in like an HOV lane? And they warn you, because if you get in the HOV lane, you only can get off at certain exits, right? But you're talking, and the traffic's moving faster over here, right? And so you just get in the fast lane, HOV, whatever it is, and you're going along, and then suddenly it dawns on you that there went your exit. And sometimes we just get busy in life like that. I mean, we're just moving along and clicking along and everything's going good and we're in the fast lane and we we miss the very important decisions of life that pass us by. Well, look again at verse 13 and notice the outcome of that straight gate and the wide gate. Where does the broad way lead? Where does the broad way lead us? It says, Destruction, your translation may have jumped to the conclusion and said hell. But it's not, just, it's not just that inevitable place called hell. It is actually, destruction means everything that is perishing. We, we're living for so much of life that is passing away. And we can't keep and will soon be taken from us. And likely come to very little. And verse 14, where does the narrow way lead? Where does that straight, narrow, where does that lead? It says it leads unto Life. You did bring your Bible this morning, didn't you? I'm in Matthew seven. Are you there? I noticed last week. I listened to the to the recording. I think I gave you the wrong passage. Anybody remember that? Oh, it doesn't matter now. So, where I'm in Matthew seven, and uh, you see it there. That it leads to life. Life is the in 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 contrast to the perishing, destructible stuff. This is the imperishable stuff, right? This is stuff that will never pass away. Uh, Jesus calls it abundant life Peter describes it as incorruptible undefiled and will never fade away Which would you rather live for the stuff that's fading away or the stuff that will never fade? Paul describes it as he gives a contrast He calls one gold silver precious stone and the other is wood hay and stubble you tell me which is going to last Pretty obvious, isn't it? And I think as time goes by we begin to realize what stuff is really important You let a little trouble come into your life and you begin to realize what is more important? What is the more important stuff of life? Well, the offer that's made, on the one hand, you'll hear the crowd calling, I suppose, saying, hey, let's go. Let's have They look like they're having a good time. There's a lot of noise. I just want to know what's going on out of curiosity sometimes. And we follow them. On the other hand, you may hear a single voice inviting you, hey, would you come go to church with me? Would you come follow Christ? And it may even be the still small voice of Christ himself, knocking at your heart's door, saying, let me come in. Well, you're smart enough to know that just because everybody's doing it doesn't make it right, right? You heard your parents say that enough. We got enough young kids in here as well as um, most of you have pretty good memories still. And I know that you heard your parent at some point in your life say something like, well, just because everybody else is doing it doesn't make it right. And then they would say something sarcastic like, if everybody was jumping off the building, would you do it too? (laughs) That's just the way we talk sometimes. Does it make it right? No, we know it doesn't make it right, but it doesn't necessarily make it right just because there's only one person asking, right? So, I mean, the the opposite doesn't always... I want to know... I want to have a little greater confidence in the choices I make than just saying, well, because everybody did it, or just because there's only one voice... I want to have some other other way to sort of confirm that. And so we have that in verse 15. These two prophets that will speak to us. Beware of false prophets, which implies there must be true also, come to you in sheep's clothing. So Aesop's fable. But inwardly they are what? Ravening wolves. So you know they want to grab hold of your kids. right? You know they want to get your mind... You know they want your, your money. By implication, these two prophets, how do we know the difference? Well, the caution there is to beware. There are false prophets. Down in verse 21, we'll look at it in a little bit. There are also false professions that will be made. You have to beware. What is beware? It's a nautical term. It's like bringing a ship, a great ship, into port. Have you ever tried to dock a little boat? Anybody here ever tried to dock a little boat? You ever get turned sideways? It's easy to get turned sideways, isn't it? I mean, that's so. That's the term. Beware! Now, this is talking about great ships, and so you got to watch the currents. You got to pay attention to the wind. Uh, you may have some buoys that you have to navigate, and, and on some circumstances, you would even have lighthouses that you want to mark. Right? That's that's how we confirm the choices of life, and that's where we find it in the Word of God. We want to mark these things carefully, because I don't want to get turned all sideways. Because once you get turned sideways, I, you, ever, you ever watched anybody do that? Yeah, And they get all turned sideways, and then it's, before you know it, they're backwards. They're just completely turned around. I mean, it just happens in a, in a blink, too. You think you got it pretty good, and then suddenly pff, you're all turned sideways. Well, that's the caution, the corruption that seems to be suggested, verse 16 You'll know them by their fruits. You see it there? Do you gather grapes of thorns? No. Do you get figs from thistles? No. Even so, every good tree brings forth good fruit, but a corrupt tree brings forth corrupt fruit. That makes sense, doesn't it? A good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit, or uh, bring forth evil fruit, neither can a corrupt tree bring forth Good fruit, the corruption. You don't get advice on docking your boat from an airplane pilot landing a plane, do you? Makes sense. And if someone is trying to sell you something, what's the best advertisement for them selling you that thing? What's the best advertisement? My uncle's, not Uncle Stan, kid's Uncle Stan, my brother in law, he sold Fords. Any fans of Ford? Yeah, there you got one. What are the rest of you? <laughs> if I'm selling Fords and I drive on the parking lot, what should I be driving? There's a sense of corruption to a fellow that's trying to sell you something he doesn't even want. Right? And, and so, uh, if you're a car salesman, I'm so sorry. But that that's, that's you know, that's sometimes we get that mentality about, car salesman, or, or any... What's the best advertisement? He's driving it. He's using it. If you know it's a piece of junk, why would I want to buy it? There's, this, there's a bit of corruption. And a false prophet will never follow his own advice. He's just trying to get you to follow him. He'll never follow his own advice. It is foolish to simply follow a crowd with the rationale that they can't all be wrong. Can they? Seek out the person that looks like, acts like, sounds like the way you want to be in life someday. You want to be married for fifty years? Exhibit A, right? You. <laughs> you find the guy that's living the kind of life you want to live, and you pattern yourself after that. And there's there's no difference in the spiritual realm either. You want to know the guy that's learned to be happy in the Lord? You find that guy. Find that person. That's what discipleship is about, you know? Kind of interacting. How many people have been corrupted? Because while knowing the outcome, you've heard it. Your parents have told you. The preacher has said it. You might have even read it for yourself in the Bible. But you say to yourself, I know how it's done for everybody else. But it's different. It's different. How many people end up married to the wrong person. Well, but Daddy, I love her. And you think it's going to be different for you than it was for everybody else. No, it won't be. But Daddy, but, and we get in that, and we, it'll be different, right? So all the things that we've ever seen ruin anybody else, we convince ourselves, for me, it'll be different. Verse 13 says no, right? We read it. It'll lead to destruction. It'll come to no good. And don't think for a moment that it'll be any different for you. Verse 19. Because every tree that brings forth, brings not forth good fruit, is hewn down, cast into fire. Wherefore, by their fruits you shall know them. Again, repeating that same phrase. So the conclusion is what? This is not a wholesale chop them all down kind of judgmental phrase. Again, you'll know them by their fruit. I, I've noticed on my hillside I've got a hillside of briars down over the side there. Uh, you don't like briars, do you? Right? Every time I turn the mower, I scrape up you know, against the briars. So you want to whack them all down, right? And if I whack down all those briars, I won't have any raspberries come July. Well, of course, the deer's going to eat them anyway, so <laughs> probably won't matter. But do you get the point? And if I let the briars go, it'll, it'll destroy my raspberries. Right? So what's a fella to do? By the fruit, you'll know them. You mark them. You pay attention to them. You, you understand what's the difference between this leaf and that leaf. Right? This thorn and that thorn. You, under, you begin to understand. That's the way it is in the spirit. It's the same way in the spiritual life. By their fruits... You shall know them. Well, if you want your marriage to last, you know, the indiscriminate crowd isn't going to help you do that. The world today. You want your children to be kept from being exploited by the world. The, The vast audience of television won't help you with that effort. And while you talk about heaven, it is not enough to ask yourself, how many cars are in the parking lot of that church? You've got to know what they're teaching. Mark it carefully. To see that it's the Word of God and teaching you about Jesus and your relationship with the Father through the Son. It might be okay for the occasional choice of a diner, how many cars, how many people, but are you really going to entrust your eternal soul to that kind of thinking? You can't let yourself or your family get swept up in that fast lane because you're going to miss some important decisions along the way. Well, there's a couple of different decisions that are made. Two professions, I call them there. Beginning in verse 21. Not everyone that says unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. Did you know that? Well, that doesn't sound fair, does it? Not everyone that says unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Verse 22. Many will say unto me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name, and thy name cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works? And then I will profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you that work iniquity. It's like the old spiritual song says, everybody talking about heaven ain't going there. Heaven. Oh, my Lord. Well, when we all agree, we can, we can look around and we can see people and say, well, they're not going to heaven. Right? We get judgmental like that sometimes, don't we? Well, there's no... Well, we can... We can kind of figure that out, but have you figured out that neither are you apart from the grace of God? It's easy to look at somebody else and say how bad they are, but neither will you apart from the grace of God. After all, we would say, well, I'm not as bad as so-and-so. Jesus came to clarify the way of salvation, make the way more certain than leaving it up to whether or not you might be good enough in the end. Lord, Lord, have we not done all these wonderful things? But see, false profession. Well, the distinction he makes there, right there in verse 21, Jesus said in a parallel passage, why do you call me Lord, and then you don't do what I say? Does that make sense? Why do you call him Lord and then don't obey him? Remember what James said in our study of James? He said, don't be just a hearer, but be a what? A doer. You do remember. You're only fooling yourself when you say one thing on Sunday and then you live another way all week long. Just fooling yourself. When you stand before the Lord, there will be cries of desperation there in verse 22. Are you willing to simply take your chances and somehow hope that the good is going to outweigh the bad and you think you're going to, it's going to be different for you? Somehow, I know you need that, that's your crutch, that's your, you know, you got to, but for me it's going to be different. Really? Is it going to be different for you when you stand before a holy God and somehow you're going to be able to convince him of what nobody before you has been able to convince him of, that you're good enough and you ought to be allowed in? Really? You're going to take your chances with that kind of thinking. How's that going to work out for you? Not good. So in Titus 3, 5, he says, Not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he has saved us. Ephesians 2, we read it earlier, For by grace are you saved through faith, not of yourselves. It is a gift of God. Are you willing to leave the eternal question of heaven and hell up to a Hail Mary prayer of desperation that somehow you're going to be good enough to get yourself in to heaven? If you do, you're going to hear These departing remarks, verse 23, we read them. I never knew you. Depart from me, you that work iniquity. Now, these workers of iniquity, they're both those who willfully and ignorantly. I mean, it may just be that you just don't know better, you just and and you haven't been paying attention, and but also the willful ignorant, the disregard for the truth of God's word, somehow you think you're going to be able to work it out on your own. The sincerity of your attendance to church this morning or any other religious effort will do nothing to save your soul. Right? Upon what foundation is your faith? What, in the end, you, what is it you're going to say, this is, this is where my faith rests? Doing good enough or what Christ has done? 1 Corinthians 3 says, For other foundation can no man lay than that which is laid. Who is that? The Lord Jesus Christ. So these two projects that are given to us, these building projects, verse 24, Therefore whosoever heareth these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man which built his house upon a rock. So he's got a foundation. And the rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat upon that house, and it fell not, for it was founded upon a rock. And everyone that heareth these sayings of mine and does them shall be likened unto a foolish man, or does them not, shall be likened unto a foolish man, which built his house upon the sand. We, and we all want to be at the beach today, don't we? <laughs> Sorry, that's just a little distraction on your part. And verse 27, And the rain descended, and the floods came, same rain, same wind, same set of circumstances that the world... See, you're not excluded from trouble. The same trouble that you see other people in. It beat on this house and it fell. And not only that, great was the fall of it. What are these participants? One is described as a careful listener. The other forgetful hearer. One is called wise. The other is called foolish. The foolish man is proud of all that he has accomplished. Look at all that I have. The wise person is more humble. Look at all that Christ has provided. There's a sense of that. Do you remember the story of that? It's, I think it's called a certain rich man, but a rich man? And he had a lot of stuff. He had a really good crop that year. And so he does, he does what? He decides, you know what? I know what I'll do. I'll build bigger barns. Right? And then he's got more trouble because he's got more upkeep for all this stuff, right? And so then this approach... To Jesus, and Jesus calls him thou fool. This night thy soul shall be required of thee, and then who shall all these things be that you've laid up for yourself? And the same is true of the person that is rich in the stuff of life and not rich toward God. Luke chapter 12. Well, living only for today and for what you can get out of it is foolish and will only ever leave you disappointed in the end. You can't take it with you. Consider then the platforms. What is each built upon? C.H. Spurgeon wrote, of the foolish man's house, its chief weakness was underground in the secret place of the foundation. We know the importance of a good foundation. Both men in the story are builders. Evidently, both built similar structures. The difference was not in what you can see, but what what you can't see. And often, by the way, that is the stuff of, of fear, right? I often say, That ignorance breeds fear. Why is that? Because it's not what you can see. It's what you can't see. If, If you have any sense of fear about that eternal question, then you're likely building it on something that is uncertain, unstable, which you are not quite sure, living in fear. Well, what made the difference? The foundation, the wise man built upon a rock. Now you're beginning to hear that song in your head, right? You remember that song we sang the little kids? No? Yes, okay, thank you. Oh, man, I'm the only one out there. So stuff goes in my head like that. But anyway, so we got this one guy's building on a rock. The other guy on the sand. We know that the one must be the chief cornerstone, which is Christ. The other must be just simply the stuff of life, right? The sinking sands of life circumstance. Have you ever written your name in the sand at the beach? Yeah? How long does that last? That's about how long the stuff of life will last. And then you'll see that occasional person like me. You, 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 uh, you camped out your spot at the front of the line, right? Everybody, why is everybody so far back? I'm going on up front. And you go up front and What happens? And it's, yep, and so then you start digging a hole or something like you, you're going to hold the ocean back. You know, nobody else ever been foolish like that. And so I think I'm going to hold the ocean back from my stuff, and I'm going to build a wall. How long does that last? Just one wave. That's all it takes, my friend. That's the stuff of life. Just one wave of circumstance can wipe you out in an instant. When Luke recorded this same parable, he wrote, The wise man digs deep, lays the foundation on a rock. Foolish man builds without a foundation at all. Why worry over the foundation? The structure is to be built for protection. The howling winds, the rain, the circumstances. And when does the house fall? When you need it the most. And guess what will happen to the stuff of this world? If you build your life on the stuff of this world, it will let you down at the time you need it the most. And you'll be discouraged. And you'll be in despair and fear and frustration because all this stuff that you've built collapsed when you needed it the most. So what is producer? What's the product? What's the outcome? Not only does the house of the foolish man fall, but think about it, it falls in the midst of the storm when you need it the most. John said, this world is passing away, but he that does the will of my father, that will abide forever. Well, in, this story goes back a long, long way, but two men shared the honors of their graduating class at a place called Milderberry College. In fact, what made this unique, not only did they share... The honors in their class. These two men were both born on the same day, same year, same day, different places. But there's there's so much in their lives that were in common. And one fella ahead of his class. One fella, he's a, an attorney, and he goes off and makes a good name for himself. Five hundred dollars an hour, you can, right? You can make a good living. So he's he's successful and all of us would say about him what a successful life and he marries of course a beautiful young lady and together they have a beautiful child and they live happily ever after that's what we would think The other fella honors class same day same, all that he says to him he says he has a calling from the Lord to go to India And people say to him, why would you bury yourself in a place like that? Millions of tracts were distributed. 3,300 students came into their Christian schools. Don't know how many were saved. The story goes on to tell about a successful attorney. The successful attorney, his wife and daughter, were killed in a tragic accident. And in great despair, he takes his own Life. What a shame. What was his life built on? In contrast to that, here's a fellow that has how many students that maybe he'll see in heaven one day, how many parents, how many families were reached with the gospel. What will be the difference in the outcome of those two? Time can only tell. But you know, on the one hand, all that was lost. And you know, on the other hand, the great potential of what might be gained. It doesn't take a rocket scientist. And you probably know that phrase, only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Do you believe that? Some of us have built some great, great, great facades of life. And we love to post it on Facebook as if we're the happiest people in all the world because we want everybody to know how happy we are, right? And our beautiful happiness. And then a little trouble comes, and it shakes us to the core, and that stuff no longer matters, does it? No longer matters. So when you stand before the Lord one day, are you really going to take a chance with the sincerity of your heart? But, Lord, I went to church Pastor Jim saw me. I went to Sunday school. I taught in vacation Bible school. Lord, are you going to take your chance with that? Or are you willing to say, Lord, here am I. Would you save me? I, I know you're not as bad as whoever else you're thinking about. And I know you can point to a lot of people that deserve a place called hell. But so do I. So do you, apart from the saving grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Would you bow with me in prayer? Every head bowed, every eye closed, and just a moment of invitation. I know you got a lot to do this afternoon. I'm looking around seeing. I just, I just know there's a lot going on. But let's just pause for a moment and ask that important eternal question. What are you going to do with Jesus? Upon what foundation is your life? it will just take one wave of circumstance and it could wipe you out. But for the grace of God, have you accepted Christ as your personal Savior? Have you accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior? That question I hope will just lay with you, stay with you, and please don't don't try to get away from it because something is going to happen and it may be too late. Dear Heavenly Father, as we're paused before you today, perhaps there's one here even now saying, Lord, I need you. Lord, I need you. May they pray a simple prayer. A simple prayer. I know I'm a sinner. I know that, Father, you sent your Son to be my Savior. I accept that. Would you forgive me and save me? That will be the foundation of my life. And when I face... That eternal question, I'll be able to say my life was built on Jesus Christ, in whose name I pray. And all God's people said, Amen. Take your hand.